1: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
2: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel, your host, and so happy to be with you finally again after a little bit of a hiatus because I was on vacation. This podcast was actually recorded just before I left. It is the Southeast Division with Mike Prada of... SB Nation and Adi Joseph of For The Win, formerly my boss at Sporting News, and we go through all five teams. We thought this was going to be a shorter episode, and then it really wasn't because we figured out a lot of angles to talk about, and I, I enjoyed it so much. And this episode is also brought to you by a new sponsor for Real Gym Radio FanDuel. FanDuel is a great way to try out daily fantasy sports. And as somebody who's been more in the long range things, I'm very excited to actually spend some time with it this year. And you can go to fanDuel.com and then use the promo code RealGM, and you can play in a free contest, and you don't have to worry about doing a deposit it's not required and you can check it out we'll talk more about it a little bit later this episode runs a little bit beyond an hour lots to get through and talk about with this fascinating division thank you guys so much for coming on
3: hey man it is good to be on this podcast uh to talk about five teams that didn't do a whole lot
1: (laughs) yeah this is gonna be like the least eventful of these these uh, podcasts because it's kind of like okay yeah we'll, we'll
2: have to manu- <laughs> we'll have to manufacture some arguments or maybe we'll talk about the michael beasley news because that happened even though it's not this division and but <laughs> but we'll we'll start with uh the question i like to lead all these with and who got better and who got
1: worse it's a unique question in this division because four of the teams didn't do that much obviously like, I, I think we can all agree the Hawks got worse. They they intentionally got worse, but they did. They're a significantly worse team now. Beyond the Hawks, no one really changed their team that much. But I think the team that, um you know, really did the most to improve themselves at the margins was the Hornets. So for me, the Hornets in adding Dwight Howard, adding even a Michael Carter Williams, who they got at a super cheap price, not asking him to do much. Uh, you know, Malik Monk. The Hornets improved their their depth. They have a real backup for Cody Zeller, although I sadly think he might start over Cody Zeller instead, uh, in Dwight. And that was a huge issue for them last year because they basically weren't a playoff team because Cody Zeller got hurt. And the minute that injury happened, they had no replacement for him and uh they, they fell off the map. And so the Hornets, I think, have positioned themselves – that plus all the exits from the Eastern Conference, the Hornets have positioned themselves to to be a playoff team.
3: Congratulations. You're in near the top of the garbage pile. Congrats. <laughs> Miami got better, right? Miami, obviously, they're not going to be 30-11 and 11 again at the second half of the year. But they brought everyone back. Justice Winslow is going to be healthy. And they brought in Olenek, and they didn't really lose anybody. So they got better, I would say. Uh, how yeah, but much they better? got worse
1: because – Deion Waiters is going to be Deion Waiters again. Are we sure? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the challenge for Eric Spolstra right now is, can you get James Johnson to play a role that he had never played before the second half of last season and do it as well as he did? Can you get Deion Waiters to play at an efficiency level that he had never played at before, and get him to do it for a whole season, and can you meld in Justice Winslow and all the progress that you hope he's made, and make that all work? And it's 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 a very challenging coaching situation for Eric Spolstra because for a non-playoff team, he has expectations because of how strong they finish.
2: I look at the better worse generally on a pure talent level, available talent. So if a guy's you know hurt, then that's a different thing, but. I think the Heat have better available talent, but Audis right that this is a much more challenging coaching job for Spolstra, because last year, necessity became the mother invention, and he got into using some of these lineups because there were guys that were hurt. Now, he has a lot of mouths to feed, at least early in the season when everybody's healthy, and that's hard, but he's done a good job over the course of his career of trying things out and managing a rotation. And now they actually have guys like Olenek and James Johnson and, and Dion waiters and justice Winslow. Like they're actually deep. Like this is a pretty deep team. And that's hard in certain circumstances, but it still is better from a talent perspective.
3: They're really deep. Who's going to be the starting five for Miami? You would think Dragic and Waiters is your backcourt, Whiteside's your center. I think the two forward spots are really going to be interesting this year. Do you just get Justice Winslow one of those? Do you reward Rodney Magruder for the way he played? Where does Kelly Olynyk fit in? Uh, do you start Johnson, even though he was great off the bench last year? What about Josh Richardson? I'm very curious to see who their starting five will be and maybe more who their finishing five
1: will be. Yeah, I think the finishing five is the bigger issue because I do think that when they gave Kelly Olynyk that contract, they even though they gave Johnson more, they gave Johnson more to be their super six man. Kelly Olynyk probably will be the starting center. You know, in covering the draft this year, I, I got a strong sense from a lot of people that they were very concerned with finding the right big men to go alongside Whiteside, and they felt like Olynyk was that guy. They felt like Bam Adebayo was a good backup. You know, so I think they they are a team where their closing five could change a lot given how Waiters plays, how Winslow plays, how Johnson plays. You know, you, you don't really have any sense of idea of how these guys are going to play together. And um, I am fascinated by what Eric Spolster did in the second half of last season and what he's got to do again this season now that people actually kind of... I mean, I had a, a Miami, Heat, uh, Miami radio host tell me that the composition of this team is similar to the 2004 Pistons. And the crazy part is, in a world in which you really want to stretch and believe that, you could. they can Because Goran <laughs> Dragic just vaguely runs an offense similar to Chauncey Billups. Maybe Justice Winslow can be there. Tayshaun Prince, that's probably the most realistic of all these comparisons. And they really believe that, you know, and a lot of this is on Whiteside. A lot of this is on Hassan Whiteside taking one more step up. They need him to take... Just one more step into being not just – I mean, last year he became more than just a shot blocker. He became a really – a solid defensive player. Now they need him to take that one further step on that end while maintaining his offensive efficiency. And I think if they if, if Whiteside can take that step and these guys don't fall apart now that they've got their big contracts, they're clearly a good team, a, a, a clear-cut playoff team in the East. And maybe even a contender for like the four seed.
3: Lee Jenkins and I are both writers, so we're we have that comparison <laughs> down. Just like the Miami's team is like the O four Pistons, right? You know, that's basically no, what that, I think of that.
1: <laughs> I, I was stunned. I was absolutely flummoxed, and then I tried to unpack it. But it's such an extreme comparison it's uh it's my and the other
2: the other part of that is you think back to just the level that those Pistons guys were playing at yes they they didn't really have those Hall of Fame careers, but you know rip Hamilton and Rashid Wallace and Ben Wallace those guys were amazingly good players like those were legitimate right. you know all stars and these Miami players you know if everything works, they can be there. But I doubt it. I mean, that that that, you know, it's they're, they're, I, I like to think of the universe of outcomes. And I think comparing this Miami team to that Pistons team is like the 100th of 100 outcomes. And that might even <laughs> be that might even be pushing it. But, you know, like if we're if we're allowing for that sort of a universe, then we can do it. Uh, so, yeah. So the basics for what teams got better. I think that the magic also got better, partially because their team is just deeper now. Like, I'm not, I'm still not completely sure it makes sense, but at least adding Isaac, adding Shelvin Mack, adding John Simmons and most Bates like, those are guys that can actually play basketball and doing that on top of kind of the rest of it. And they really only lost Jeff Green and Jody Meeks. You know, CJ Watson didn't really play much, Zimmerman didn't play much. So I think they'll be better. And then the Wizards are basically the same. And so then the question becomes health versus the aging curve. So like I feel like they're they're a team that's more on the older side overall. I mean, obviously there are young guys on this team. So it's whether that but I think that yamahimi Mahimi, if he can play more of the season, that they're gonna be about the same because Mahimi is a really good player who just needs to who needs to actually be on the court.
1: So one thing I'd say about um the magic is if Elfrey Payton and Aaron Gordon play the way they did in the second half, they were really good in the second half, both of them, and uh, they took huge steps forward. I I'm done believing in Terrence Ross, so I'm not gonna assume that. And I don't know that I, I don't know that I buy that Jonathan Simmons was a game changer, but they got him at a good they got him at a really good rate actually. So he was definitely worth a flyer. I like I, I do like what the Magic have done. I don't see them as quite a playoff team unless Peyton and Gordon can not only take what they did in the second half and replicate it, but improve on it. And if you haven't seen Alfred Peyton's numbers in the second half, um, it was like 14, eight and seven efficient, like with a 50 percent field goal percentage and the positive on off and everything else. So I think a, a lot of people slept on those two guys improving
3: in the second half. Yeah, we've heard that movie before, though. Oh, yeah. the yeah, magic. kind of interesting the second half of the year. I'm on Alfred Peyton Island. I think we're giving up on him too soon, I kinda of always have been. But they have the same problem they always have. Like, okay, the defense stays in the paint and doesn't cover them out to the three point line and brick, brick, brick. We don't still don't know what position Aaron Gordon is. Are they really committed to playing him at the four? If that's the case, why do they take a four with their high draft pick? So I don't really know what's going on there. And like Simmons is a good player, but you know, how are you distributing minutes between Simmons, Fournier, and Ross? And what are you doing there? That's a really small wing combination. You know, it, it, it's the same stuff with them. I They're going to prove it to me until I got to see it to before I really jump aboard. But um, I really want those guys to be good. Like, I want Peyton and Gordon to be good. I just think. They've been mismanaged, and I have a little more faith for Peyton because I just think point guards take a while nowadays, and you see guys peak so much later at this position. And he's still only twenty three, so I think we forget how young he is and how much how screwed up the whole thing was around him. But you know, I, I still am not sure like what what is the role they want Eric Gordon to play? Like where where is he yeah. actually fitting in? Like until I get an answer to that question, I, I don't see anything happening there uh i will object a little bit to danny's description of the wizards as an old team because the three best players are 26 23 and 23 so i don't know if that's Well, i I
2: agree with but but do you think that john wall like does he have another step to go up or is he pretty much like i'm not saying he's a bad player or anything he's incredible but do you think he's going to be better this year than last year same thing with beal to me and maybe to porter Porter, it's more about the shooting regressing but like i think
3: Probably I think, with all of them that's the case.
2: And then there are older yeah. guys like Marcin Gortat, you know, I would expect Marcin Gortat to be worse this year than last year, same with Markeef. You know, those type of guys. It's not it's not a clear-cut thing like some of these other teams. I just think that they have more post-prime guys than pre-prime guys. Uh,
3: I don't know. I mean, Tim Frazier is a younger backup point guard than they have. <laughs> they Oubre. still got Oubre. Uh, they still have Like, yeah, okay, they've got Gortat, they've got Smith. You know, Jody Meeks is probably in prime, not really. Well, how old is he, 29? Okay, maybe he's post-prime. You know, they don't have Bogdanovich who was 28. Like, I kind of think they've sort of... Stayed still. I mean, Morris is 27, so I wouldn't know if I would call that post-prime. I'd probably call that prime-prime. So I think they're a little younger than you give them credit for. But it is fair to wonder, like, okay, as great as Beal and Porter were last year, and you'd think that they'd take a step up, they did both shoot really well, and they were healthy. And with Wall, yeah, he had a great year. I mean, look, if he can go do better than that, that'd be dope. But I'm not sure. I think that's asking a lot. Um, so I, I think they're staying – you're going to have these forces balance itself out that a little bit, uh, and they'll stay the same. The real question to me is like, okay, Kelly Gobreit, it's now year three. You wave floppy. Like it's year three. You know we have you have the three guys there you, that are good. You know Morris is going to play some role. What is? Are you going to consistently going to be that that guy that can swing up and play in these small lineups? Because that's when they were at their best in the middle of the year. But it was such a short fleeting moment that I think. We need to see a little more consistency. That to me is the only way the Wizards really get out of this sort of yeah, we're pretty good. We'll probably be the three seed. But like until we until that, I'm not sure exactly where the team is going up from there. That's a long winded way of saying that like I would I understand where you're coming from, Danny, and I think that's probably about right. I just I wouldn't say they're an old team. I would say they're a in they're a team that's gonna it's got a lot of guys that are gonna be about as better in the age range where they should be about as good as they were before.
1: Yeah, I mean the team that this I would compare this Warriors team to in terms, I mean this Wizards team in terms of age to is the 2014 Warriors, where you kind of were like, okay, David Lee's not improving, Andre Iguodala's not improving, Andrew Bogut's not improving, and Clay Thompson and and Stephen Curry just had what were what we thought in 2014 was probably the best that they were going to be, right? Clay hit 41 percent, Steph hit 43 yeah, percent. I like to this. Damn, uh, just so, think they're going to so win I, the
3: title this coming year.
1: I like <laughs> it. <laughs> so, no, but not not from a talent perspective. But you know, if somehow Wave Poppy becomes the Draymond Green of this team and bursts out onto the scene, and and you know they they end up like feeling so good about him that by the end of the year they've moved Morris to the bench and they're starting Porter and, and Ubre. The, the next thing you know, like if if Beal. And Porter can not only maintain but improve a little bit at least they don't need to be hugely better. wall doesn't need to be hugely better, but if everyone can take one step forward and they can find a surprise contributor and Eubray and really seems like the only the only potential oh wow, we didn't expect that much out of him, guy. If That's that can it. happen, then we then we're talking about a team that really absolutely can consider itself a true not just a we hope to make the Eastern Conference finals, but we think we have a realistic shot of being on that same tier as the Celtics and the Cavs.
3: Cool. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well but
1: and
2: and so one of, the other, one of the other things that, since we're talking about the Wizards and their ceiling, is I think they could end up being the other big beneficiary if Cleveland ends up kind of partially blowing it up this season. I don't expect that right now. Like, I, my feeling at this moment in time, of course, I might be releasing this podcast like a week or two after we record it, but my feeling right now is that they're going to keep Kyrie Irving. And if they don't, then I would say the Celtics are, are you know, depending on what Cleveland gets back, the Celtics are are probably above the Wizards in the mix, but I'm not so sold on Boston that I think the Wizards can't jump them. You know, like the Wizards could make that like that's a bigger thing than saying like, oh, they can compete with the best teams in the West. But I could see them being being that other team in the East that can compete with these other guys.
1: I also just have a tremendous amount of confidence in in John Wall watching him every time a challenge is presented to that guy, he he answers it, he proves it wrong. Just, I don't think that enough people realized how much better he got last year. I think that that was kind of an understated thing because we knew John Wall was good. So, you know, the fact that he basically became, went from, you know, what was it, like 18 points a game to 23. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like the the, the leap that Wall, Wall made last year as a scorer, it's only going to continue to improve. He's only going to continue to improve that stuff because he worked so hard. So I really do have a lot of faith in John Wall and a John Wall-led team and the way he Gets his shooters open. We've seen, can statistically prove to you that his shooters do shoot higher percentages when he's on the court at a very consistent level. Not quite a LeBron level, but almost. And as a result, like Otto Porter is probably going to continue to be a great shooter as long as Walls on the court with him. Uh, I don't like what their bench is now. I didn't like what their bench was last season. It was a little better by the end, but you know, a lot better by the end. But if they can answer those bench problems, or if they can just stay really healthy, this is a, this is a team that that I feel like you shouldn't write them off as far as what they could be by the end of the year.
3: This is weird. Am I the least optimistic Wizards person on this <laughs> podcast? I, I'm. I, hey, I'm not jinxing any of that stuff. <laughs> I'm just letting. I'm letting y'all speak. I didn't. This happens anything.
1: a lot, though. Fans, I mean, especially educated fans, tend to be a little more cynical about their own guys. Well, and um, it's it's
2: also the idea of kind of what p- potential versus likely. Like, I don't think what what Adi's talking about is the most likely outcome, but it's certainly a I'll reasonable be, possibility. And I think that's kind of yeah, the I, difference. Is that I, I think fan like people who are closer to a team think more about most likely outcomes. And think less about like the more extremes. Whereas people who look at it from the side, you think about all of this stuff because that's just you're thinking about it all in one shot.
1: Right. And I think that the you know as the Wizards are a team that I've spent a decent amount of time around, being DC based for for covering the NBA for three years. They're they're just a team that you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put a a cap on what their potential is in the playoffs in particular. Even if in the regular season they're not going to be better than the Celtics in the regular season. The Celtics have insane amount of depth. Insane amount of switchability, a great coach, just a lot a lot going for them. But in the playoffs, we, all, we almost saw the Wizards beat the Celtics last year, and I don't necessarily think that the Celtics have made themselves somehow invulnerable to that possibility again.
3: First things first, let's uh, improve that defense, because all these great yeah. things that we're talking about, it's not like they really did much this summer to get better defensively. Maybe yami healthier. They didn't do much healthier. to get better. No, but especially not defensively. I mean, even with the limited resources they had, they got three offense guys. Yeah, You know, Meeks and Frazier and uh, Mike Scott. So that's got to get better. And until it does, I'm still not quite there yet. But they certainly have the firepower to make it happen. Uh, and same, they're same roster. This division.
1: Very similar roster was, like, fifth in defense a couple years ago. I mean, uh, I, I know, I yeah. know Nene was a huge part of that. I, and I, I know you can't underwrite... How important he was, but beyond that, I mean, was Paul Pierce really that big an, a deal on defense? I guess he was a leader, but uh, you know, there's still some there's still some potential. Wall took a step back defensively, and I think that's probably one thing that he wants to improve on.
3: They also played smaller lineups, which hurt Denver defense, and you know, no Nene is a big deal, and they also had a lot of other. Good bench guys off the bench that were really good defenders. Garrett Temple was still there. Uh, yeah. He was a really strong defender. Garrett Dudley uh, for a year. Dudley. They still had Ariza. I don't know if it's only – I think there were. there's a lot more that's changed with this roster than you would think. But, I mean, look, they got to get better there. And until they do, it's hard for me to take them as, like, a contender seriously. But, you know, if they do, that would be great because there's no reason they shouldn't. For sure, and, you know this is supposed to be what Scott Brooks is good at, and it wasn't last year. So I would hope that they get a lot better. They're definitely in a class of this.
2: Before we move on to the rest of this podcast, I want to take a minute to tell you about a new sponsor of Real Jam Radio, Fanduel. I've been doing fantasy football for a long time. I mean, longer than computers have really been prevalent since the internet has been prevalent. I've been doing fantasy football, and this is actually the first year that I haven't done year long just because my basketball obligations and everything else made that too much of a commitment. And I was really intrigued when FanDuel reached out because that was the nice hybrid where it could still have the competitiveness, still take the energy that I put into following football for my entire life and use it for that sort of purpose. I'm, I'm big into that and over two and a half million people have already won cash prizes playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. That can be in many other sports, including basketball. But right now, since football season is about to start, that's what we're talking about. And so what you do is you go to FanDuel.com, and there's a Join Now button, and then you use the promo code REALGM, R-E-A-L-G-M, no spaces. And you can try it for free, get in some free contests with no deposit required. You can play for a share of $10,000. Pretty awesome. And it's fanduel.com, promo code REALGM, GM. Voidware prohibited, but there are a lot of amazing things that, that they do both in the longer term things. If you want to do single day, single time period, they have a, an impressive array of products. And I think that's great. So whatever you're interested in, if you're one of those who really watches the primetime games, you can focus on that. If you want to watch just on Sunday or, you know, as it goes throughout the week, you can do that too. So check it out, fanduel.com, join now button. The promo code is real GM and hopefully you enjoy it, and I will be passing along my experiences throughout the season. I think it's going to be fun to really track that, and so you can keep a lot, keep an eye on it there. The next thing I want to talk about, we've already hit on a couple of things that can be discussed, but I wanted to go through a move, so that can be a draft pick, it can be a trade, it can be a free agent signing, that stood out to you for whatever reason.
3: Jonathan Isaac to Mar-O-Lando, uh when I think it's interesting because, well, I think it was a good pick. Like, I'm a fan of his, and I'm really curious to see how it works out. But they were in a position where they kind of had to – make a selection that would either be a bit of a referendum on Aaron Gordon or a bit of a referendum on Alfred Payton. And, I mean, they could have taken Dennis Smith is what I'm getting at. And they chose Isaac. And I guess theoretically they could play together. Maybe Isaac's going to be a five. Maybe Gordon really is a three all these years, and we were wrong the whole time. But, you know, as that team gets older, and I'm really curious to see how where Isaac actually fits in to that mix. And, you know, do they actually envision him and Gordon playing together at the three and the four, in which case – I don't know. I'm a little less optimistic about that draft pick. And the fact that they didn't take a point guard and didn't really sign anyone better than Shelvin Mack, I think, is an indication of belief in Alfred Payton. So it's one of those transactions that I think points in the direction of, like, here's what, here's like what they also think about other players. And, you know, with Gordon being up for an extension and us still having no idea what he is, I think that's a really – I think that's an interesting point that they picked Isaac.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I had Isaac as I don't remember anymore, third or fourth, either third or fourth on my board. So I, I definitely thought he was the best available player. And you're talking about new management uh, and really good management, but also the same management that built the Bucks in John Hammond, the same management that built the Raptors draft strategy. A, a heavy Jeff Weltman had a heavy part and heavy hand in the Raptors draft strategy when they took guys like Bruno Caballo. So you know,
3: it's and that worked out not, great.
1: <laughs> it's not surprising that they went for the lanky, athletic type, which was very much John Hammond's go-to move. And then it's it's also not surprising that they are reassessing guys like gordon and saying we're we're not the we're not the people who drafted you we're not the people who spent three years developing you we're your new bosses you've got to prove to us that you're worth something and that you are a part of this future because you know yes he had a strong finish a strong 25 games or whatever it was in the second half but he still hasn't like you said he's still such an anomaly it's not clear what position he plays. It's not clear how well he plays it. So if I'm the new management there and I have a chance to take the best available player and he happens to be the exact kind of player that I've always gone after in the draft on a consistent basis, it, it seemed like the more I the more I understood the Magic's drafting philosophy, the more I understood why they were definitely going to take Isaac if he was there. Um, in fact, I wouldn't have even been surprised if they had gone with Neil Akina if Isaac wasn't there because... I think that they, I, I, I had some sense, of some intel that they might have preferred Nilakina to, to Smith, but it's, it's just a situation where I, I think they, they, they are simply putting pressure on, on. Gordon, and there's usually a feeling among rebuilding teams that you can afford to double up at a given position. I thought the uh, more—I'll get get to the more interesting draft pick for that same reason um, later when we talk about our favorite rookies, but the move that stood out to me was the Dwight Howard trade, which affected two teams in this division, because here are the Hawks so desperate for a clean slate that they took on one of the most reprehensible contracts in the NBA.
3: Reprehensible.
1: Miles Plumlee on that deal— (laughs) <laughs> miles miles Plumlee on that deal might be one of the two or three worst contracts in the league long term if you if you're talking about four four years left or three years left on a 12.5 million dollar deal for a guy who might not be an nba player that's a strong statement about how much travis flank another new boss came in and said i want to get rid of dwight howard number one off-season priority get rid of Dwight Howard, and he got rid of him before the draft. Like, it was no hesitation, we're doing this, get this guy off my roster. That, to me, says a lot about where the Hawks are headed, and I think that's probably a good thing for the Hawks and their fans, long-term.
2: Yeah, that was a move that stuck out to me for a couple of different reasons. One was, even, like I mean, I, I feel like Plumlee's contract is just a disaster, so even if they just wanted to not have Dwight Howard on their team anymore, the idea of just... St- Maybe you wouldn't want to stretch him or stretch him later, but whatever you want to do with that— They didn't really save this year. They didn't save much because they also added a Marco Bellinelli who can actually play. And, you know, maybe they'll actually use him. But, you know, I feel like Dwight's contract after this year, even if you even if all you do is eat it, is still better than Miles Plumlee's. Like that's it's just one of those circumstances where a team kind of kind of made that decision. And Bellinelli helps. I'm not going to say I'm not going to downplay it. But that was shocking. Also in that trade, a weird thing that happened kind of in two components was they moved down in the draft. They moved from 31 to 41, and while Charlotte ended up basically using that to move down themselves and save money, that still is a meaningful difference in terms of an asset because if Atlanta had kept that pick, they could have drafted somebody who could actually play. Semi Ojale, Jordan Bell, I feel like there's at least one or two other guys that were around that could have played. And so to, to eat the contract they did and to also move down in the draft is just a statement of how they were feeling about Dwight.
1: It really says a lot about Dwight. And I know Steve Clifford is the biggest Dwight Howard fan in the entire NBA. And it's going to be really interesting to see the way he uses him. One thing I think is really important for fans to understand is when you see that guy who gets that big contract in free agency and he sucks and and the coach keeps playing him, or you see that that, that rookie who was drafted really high and he gets more shots than the rookie who was drafted lower but but is playing better, a lot of how teams use players— is about how they acquired them and how much they gave up and what they sacrificed. In the Cornets case, they gave up pretty much nothing they wanted for Dwight Howard. They got him basically for free as a way to, like you said, move up in the draft. That means that there's there's not going to be a crazy amount of pressure on Steve Clifford to use Dwight. But he loves Dwight and he believes the world of Dwight. And so I won't be surprised if he starts, even though I personally think he could be a killer backup.
3: So Charlotte's big problem last year was when Cody Zeller got injured, they had no one to replace him, right? Yeah. I mean, that. it's been a little while since I've watched the Hornets, so I'm just trying to remember exactly what happened. That that was their big issue, like yeah. the season torpedoed after losing Cody Zeller. So wasn't that the whole point of acquiring Roy Hibbert? That didn't work out. So I guess I'm just not really sure, like I'm not saying Dwight is Roy Hibbert, but until that's why I'm like not that excited about this. Like ultimately he what who's to say that this won't turn out the same way? Where it's like, yeah, we got this really good center who can play twenty minutes a game and park him near the basket. He's a great rim protector and you know, he's perfect in Clipper's scheme and like, Oh yeah, that didn't actually work for Roy Hibbert. Yeah. The game's well, passing by. Like, why yeah. wouldn't the same thing happen to Dwight Howard?
2: I think this is a a great parallel which is gonna be really off the wall for some people, but with Andrew Wiggins playing next to Jimmy Butler. And so the idea is kind of, if it doesn't work here, it's not going to work. Because with Dwight, he's mm-hmm. in the perfect system. He doesn't have to play a lot of minutes. He, he's with a coach that really supports him. So like, if it doesn't work with Clifford, he's just done. You know, then it then it's over, yeah. and we can we can we can write that off. And what, what I say with Wiggins is like now Wiggins doesn't have to guard the other team's best perimeter scorer, and he's probably not going to be guarded by the other team's best perimeter defender. So it's like okay, we get to see what Wiggins is like in this role. If he's not good in this, then it's going to be a lot harder to buy that vision for him. And. I feel like those circumstances are actually really useful because then you get this, you get this calibrator and you don't want to read too much into it if it really works because they're not always a representative circumstance. But if it doesn't work, then you go, okay, if that, that favorable circumstance isn't enough, so we need to recalibrate what we think of that player.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I th- I think for Dwight, like, I, I, I mean, Mike hit the hammer, hit, hit the nail on the head because He's due something like uh, I don't remember the exact number, but like forty-five million dollars over the next two years. As soon as that contract expires, his next contract could end up being like a minimum contract. Do you no think one, he'll get if next he's contract?
2: still in the league, I mean, if yeah. he if, Do if he doesn't get one, I think he's going to show enough. If here. he's even,
1: uh, he might he might be a guy who doesn't even want. He might have offers for a minimum contract or something similarly hyper low, and say, I don't want that. I don't. I feel like I'm not that guy, and I'm not going to take. In 2019, he'll be, you know, 34 years old and he might be ready to, or turning 34 years old at the end of that year. He might be say you know, I don't want to be a minimum contract guy playing six minutes off your bench and serving as insurance, basically. I'd rather just be done with professional basketball or I'd rather go and see what I can do somewhere else, like, a, you know, go hit some sort of endorsement milestone and go to play in China and, you know, get a cr- crazy amount of money to play in China that, we never really talk about all the extra money they get when they go there, but it's, it's something that's very realistic that this may be Dwight's last chance. And it, it's definitely his last chance at even getting a $10 million deal in two years. If he can prove himself good for Steve Clifford, even good in roughly the same way that he was with the Hawks, 13 and 12 was not horrible for Atlanta. If he can prove himself good in some way, he can keep his value. But there's a, there is, there's a very real chance that in 2019 we will no longer see Dwight Howard on an NBA roster.
2: Yeah, I think that he'll he'll show enough that he'll that he'll get offers for another contract, but the point that he might not take it is certainly a fair one or that he could go to China or something else like that. But the other move that I wanted to talk about which has really flown under the radar because it happens so much later in the process is John Wall signing the designated veteran extension. So Harden, there was a pretty big hullabaloo about Harden doing it. You know, obviously, Curry signed one on the first day and Russell Westbrook has not. John Wall basically signed the same extension that James Harden did. The only difference is that Harden's getting paid more for the intervening two years. And that's a huge deal. You know, Wall is going to be a wizard for a long time. He has a no trade or not even a no trade clause. He cannot be traded for one year but then i mean the expectation i think has to be that he will play out at least the majority of this contract with the wizards and i didn't see that coming necessarily not because of him turning down the money but just because him being a wizard long term the structure of the new cba and everything else opened this door and now john wall's going to be washington
1: yeah I-, yeah I have a question for uh, for mike too i want to i i'm sure mike has a lot of thoughts on this but uh, i ran a poll on on twitter that got more than a thousand like 1300 responses about wall versus Kyrie versus uh lillard the first question was who's the better overall player wall got 78 percent of the vote versus Kyrie and lillard and the fourth question was who who would you want for the next seven years assuming perfect health and wall got 67 percent of the vote Compared to two guys who I believe are both younger than him, so I'm curious, uh, Mike. Along with your thoughts on the extension, do you think that that's correct? Like, would you say that it's that lopsided? John Wall versus Kyrie versus Lillard?
3: Yes, in a certain way, that generated that response. Who is the better? overall player that's gonna I don't know why
1: people I don't know why people would ever discount defense but I guess they do you're right the same way that overall
3: play also I mean like rep wise Lillard and Kyrie have the rep of being really good at one thing and not great at everything else whereas Wall does not have that rep overall you sort of tilt. I think you you biased your own results a little bit there if I'm being honest yeah, by saying fair. overall yeah I I would say I'm surprised a little bit that Danny surprised I guess it's just hard to conceive of like one dude staying in Washington for so long but But, you know, and for a while, (laughs) no, I mean, for a while, I guess like there was this if you think of this through the normal superstar lens, it's like, wow, you're really closing off a hell of a lot of options. Right. You know, for a team that won 49 games once, you know, and you're not giving yourself a chance to team up later. And, you know, all of that. I think Wall is a bit of a special case because, one, he has had knee injuries in the past. You know, I think that's a big thing Two, the Wizards have been almost effusive in like. You're our dude. And like, it's actually really important that you're our dude, even if like you're maybe not the dude that's I mean, they were going to say like, yeah, he's the dude that's going to lead us to a title. But you have to remember, this is a franchise that just has never had like one player that's been our dude for like 40 years you know, however good they are. And I think that actually means something to all. And I think more so than maybe winning a title is to cement that local legacy. And I think the Wizards have really tried to sell that, you know, with all their teams. That's kind of how Monumental works. It's the same thing with Ovechkin. They really like kind of this idea of like, yeah, we've got like the guys that we grew with us. They're going to be the faces of our team and we're going to go through tough times and then overcome them and, Still losing the playoffs every year. But, um, yeah, so I think that actually means a lot to both parties. And it is a lot of money, and you consider his health issues. And I just think it was kind of a no-brainer. Like, let's say, in retrospect, because, I mean, at the time, there was, I was wondering if he was going to try to, like, pull some of a franchise leverage and hang this anvil over his head. I mean, the other thing, too, is that there's no guarantee he makes 13 All-NBA again. You know, there are a lot of really good point guards in the league, you know. Just this time last year, it would have been nuts to say that Wall was better than Kyrie or Lillard. And now it's nuts the other way. So these things can change. I think he wanted to just lock in what he could. And it is a big deal even if the Wizards don't ever win a title. And even if this doesn't end well, because, again, like the very idea of him being our dude is a really big deal for both to be our dude in like a town where he's the guy and for the Wizards to have someone that really embraced them uh, after 40 years and nobody doing it. It's one of those things that kind of, when you put the pieces back together a little bit, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. It's not a huge surprise. You sort of have to understand, I think, the local dynamics and sort of the individual case here, because it definitely doesn't fit the normal superstar case.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. And my surprise was not so much once we had all the constraints and the structures in that he signed it. It was just kind of the way it happened, because... The designated veteran extensions coming in, that was, you know, new in the CBA. Then him qualifying because we didn't know exactly where the lines were going to be. And he qualified for that and the narrow window of it. Like, once you kind of thought about it from that perspective, it's like you can't leave that much money on the table. And your point about the kind of the legacy is well founded. The Wizards only have four retired numbers at this point. They're all long time ago. It's not, it's well, not we'll anybody. 70s exactly and wall's going to be fifth he's going to be the fifth wizard with his jersey retired he's i believe going to be he'll be the first player who played for the wizards to have their number retired because the other ones were bullets and you know of that of that elk and so that's you know that's a notable thing not only for the franchise but for him and so i just feel like there's a significance there and he you know played his he's played this part of his whole career with the franchise Harden you know, had three years with the Thunder. It's notable for all of those senses. And I feel like that's why I felt like we needed to discuss it. But we can move on to uh, a question that is actually harder in this division than a lot of other ones, which is the best newcomer to their team.
1: The guy who I'm excited to see on his new team is Dwayne Dedman. Uh, I thought he was a remarkably undervalued free agent who could have helped a lot of teams that apparently weren't interested in giving him even moderate money. So he goes to the Hawks. He goes to the Hawks for cheap, and they're basically go- going to one of the better defensive players in the league, but a guy who's never been asked to, to do a whole lot. That that's what makes this really interesting. Is here's a guy who, you know, he was basically pulled out of out of the D league from by that, I believe the Warriors first in Orlando. He kind of was always surfacing around fifteen less than fifteen minutes a game. And then last year for San Antonio basically was awesome. But only still didn't play twenty minutes a game. So now we're we're gonna put him in a situation where he and Mike Moscala are, I'm assuming both playing together and sort of platooning at center. And it's a really good position for Deadman to be in because he's completely different from Muscala and because this team has no real identity yet. And you know, Dennis Schroeder's their best player. And Dwayne Dedman, if you just doubled his numbers from last season, Dwayne Dedman would be their best player. Um, If he could somehow just take the 17.5 minutes a game and and the production he had in that for the Spurs, when you consider his elite defense and his elite rebounding, Dwayne Dedman's a really good player. Uh, It'll just be really interesting to see the challenge that he has in going to a bad team again and maximizing his role, which should be larger
2: i think the other one that's a serious competitor and it's it's interesting cuz he's kind of the other side of the muscala deadman thing is kelly olinick olinick has more offensive talent he he's had some had some big games you know most notably game 7 against the wizards actually and i wonder how spolster is going to use him because it sounds like he's going to be their starting power forward, but then he also could function as a backup center, which I actually think is his best role, you know, for his own production, just because I think he's better as a five than as a four. But they have Bam out of bio, so we'll have to kind of see with those types of things. So I think that Deadman is going to get a different kind of opportunity, but Olenek... I think Olenek's a better overall player, so I'm going to go that way. But I liked Edmond a lot. I've liked him since he was a Santa Cruz Warrior. I just thought he was somebody who was underutilized coming out of USC, and I want to see that. But yeah, this is it's it's an interesting division because even the starters who came in are kind of on the lower end. There isn't you know a, a Gordon Hayward or anything like that in this, but. Lots of guys that are going to have roles that are kind of important to their teams, even if they're not the biggest. I mean, I think that's just the way that the way that this division is going to roll.
1: Yeah, for for new listeners to this podcast, um, you should know Danny tends to like USC players and hate UCLA
3: players.
2: <laughs> that's yep. not rigidly that's true, right. but it is sometimes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> true. No, no, always true. <laughs> it's always true. So, so Mike, what like are you? What, of th- of
2: what are you thinking between playing. between Deadman and Olenek? Or you could pick somebody else if you wanted.
3: I guess Devon probably will have better stats. I don't know that there's like no good newcomers in this division. I guess who else are my options? John Simmons, Tim Frazier,
2: I mean, I guess Dwight could, Howard. I <laughs> guess you could, yeah, Dwight's Dwight's an option, but I, I think yeah. I think all the it, there's nobody really inspiring. So let's let's move on to the other one, which is more interesting, which is not the rookie that you think is going to be best. I like phrasing it in terms of the rookie that you are most excited to see in this division.
3: I want to see John Collins dunk on some fools. I'm excited for that. More more Summer League dunks, because uh yeah, he kinda of opened my eyes and unless uh, he's got there's certainly plenty of opportunity for him to play. And so I'm excited to watch him and see what kind of player he is. I, I didn't know much about him before Summer League, but he's kinda of got that like stadius young, like kind of wiggle game, like where he's kind of not a great shooter, but he's kind of funky around the basket and he just sort of finds ways to find creases to get stuff done and yeah, he dunks on people. So I'm excited for John Collins.
1: Yeah, this this division had three guys who I had marked before the draft as guys I really liked and liked above above slot. Three of the first rounders from this from this division are those guys, and then the other is Malik Monk, who I actually had lower than eleventh on my draft draft board, which I think most people had him in the top ten. So the guy I'm gonna talk about is Bam. Bam out of bio. I got pretty hyped on him during the season and then kept reading that, oh, teams weren't. no, And then kept hearing scouts saying, what can he do on offense? Is he big enough to play center? And those are the kind of concerns where when people start asking, when, when, when a major criticism of a guy who's 6'9 and as jacked as Bam out of bio is, is, is he big enough to play center? That's like that old school mentality, the same mentality that causes people to... to label john collins exclusively a four and say oh he might not be able to play center in the modern nba bam Adebayo is he's bigger than tristan thompson he's strong he's incredibly athletic and he can do a ton of things and he was kentucky's best player for most of the season that's really exciting like this guy really plays a style that i think it reminds me of a little bit of clint capella a little bit of of tristan thompson he's gonna fit the modern game but there's this massive question of how is he going to play next to Hassan Whiteside? And why did a team that has some needs that could have used a versatile forward take a center there with a guy locked in on a, on a max contract for the foreseeable future uh, in, in, in Whiteside? So where's where are Adebayo's minutes going to come? And what happens if, in a year, Bam looks like a better fit next to your lineup or, or something? Because, like I said, a lot, of what the Heat are counting on is Hassan Whiteside's continued development. But he's not young. Hassan Whiteside was in the same draft class as John Wall. So if we're not thinking John Wall's going to improve, why should we continue thinking that Hassan Whiteside's going to keep getting better, that much better at least? You know, that's a major question for the Heat. He'd have a very weird roster, and you pointed to the Olympic issue too. It's going to be really interesting to see what kind of role Bam can carve out for himself, especially as a rookie. But I, I personally loved him. I had him right around 14th where they took him, which was higher than I think a lot of, a lot of scouts were on him.
2: Yeah, I'm excited about Bam. I hadn't watched that much Kentucky this year, and then I was very impressed with the way that he moves in summer league. Like, the way that he moved both with like, with the ball was very surprising, but then defensively, I like him a lot. And we're starting to see this more with Calipari guys, or with Kentucky guys more specifically, that the big men have more skills than they show when they're on the floor at Kentucky. Same thing happened with Carl Anthony Towns. And so with Bam, I'm not going to write off any of that kind of stuff. We just didn't see it, but that doesn't mean it's gone. But this opens up the possibility for me to talk about Jonathan Isaac. And Isaac was somebody that I started fixating on at the 2016 Hoop Summit because I went up to that not having really followed high school basketball as much. And I was really intrigued by Isaac. He wasn't my favorite guy. Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum, those types of guys were. But I, I was sitting there and going, I, I can see how this might work. And he had a couple of nice defensive plays. And he his jump shot looked comfortable. And when I watched him at Florida State... I saw a guy who was going to be better in the NBA than he was in college because that whole Florida State team was really kind of weird because they had a lot of guys who wanted to shoot the ball and Isaac didn't really get the opportunity to shine on that and his recognition defensively was good. And I don't know what he is as an NBA player. I don't know what position he's going to be. I don't really know what his offensive role is, but I think it's going to work. And that's why I'm going to be so excited to watch him is that Orlando as a team is so nebulous because they have all these guys like Aaron Gordon, who we don't know what the heck they are, that I think Isaac is going to get the opportunity to try out different roles. I think they're going to try Isaac at the five a little bit this year, probably more next year when they figure out their center rotation. But I'm ex- I'm excited to see how that works because I like the guys when you have to really figure it out. I guess that's different than like Malik Monk, where Malik Monk is an intriguing talent, but we kind of know what he is.
3: I love how much Danny loves... Thinking about the Magic and watching the Magic. I love it. I love it. Every year, it's like, oh, I I see Danny live-tweeting 7 o'clock Magic games. I love it. I I can't wait for more of these, for sure.
1: They are an interesting team. In the hypothetical, and they're not going
2: to be good again. Like that's the the thing. Like they're
1: they're
2: yeah they're they're (laughs) this they're the same type of team as last year. And I I'm not I have no delusions this year that like last year it was like this idea of selling myself on Vogel and oh what if it works and like they had all this defensive ceiling. This year it's just they're kind of one of those just young teams that's going to have to figure it out and more like kind of the Suns but a little bit better and maybe not better than the Suns are going to be this year, but better than the Suns were last year. But that is a good transition into the. Season preview part of this, and this will be shorter because we actually spent longer on the off season than I expected, but I like to always start this with a very basic question, like who got better, who got worse, and that's ranking the teams 1-5. to I like to do it in terms of what you expect in the regular season, but if you want to do something else, just say what it is.
3: Yeah, I think it's sort of the same order for both. I think Washington wins the division, Miami 2nd, Charlotte 3rd, I'll take Orlando 4th, and Atlanta 5th. I think that's kind of going to be how it is in the playoffs. You know, I guess there's an outside chance that like Miami isn't quite as good as we think, and that there's sort of a regression, and that Charlotte will bounce back after some weird stuff happens last year. Uh, that's probably the biggest ch- chance, I think, for the order to change is with those two teams. But I, I don't know. I think it's pretty set at this point. I just think Miami's depth. And I'm kind of excited to see Winslow again because I'm a huge fan of his. And I think they're going to figure out a way to make it work with him. Um, so I think Miami will still be pretty good. So I, I'll, I'll go with that order.
1: Yeah, I agree with your order. Um, I do realize that we didn't talk at all about Kemba Walker, who might be arguably the second-best player in this division. And uh, so I think Kemba, who, frankly, I do think is the second-best player in this division behind Wall, is a difference maker who could, if he can continue his hot streak and Nicholas Batum and Marvin Williams figure out what happened to their jump shots and maybe get a little more out of MKG. Like the, there's a realistic way for the, for the Hornets to get back on that like 48-win path that they were on two years ago with Hell and with Batum and Williams improving their jump shots. Or with like a Frank Kaminsky stepping up and and, and taking a big stride. So I do think there's a really solid chance the Hornets are better than the Heat. Or vice versa. Uh, I think the Heat are probably the more conservative pick, so other than that it's hard to argue with 1 4 and 5 you're really just semantically picking between the Hornets and Heat i think
2: the the other one that i think has a possibility partially because Mike Boonholzer is their coach is i could absolutely see the Hawks finishing with a better record than the Magic even though i think their talent is worse just because they're going to work on defense and they could steal a couple of these games that they just just because they want to or because they try hard and Orlando like it it doesn't take a real stretch of the imagination to see them taking another year to adjust to all this kind of stuff. And while I, again, I think Orlando is a better team. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Atlanta is just a little bit too good for their own good and just kind of make their way out of the bottom end of the lottery, which is where they should be to get the next player. Who's going to be the centerpiece of a good Hawks team.
1: Yeah. Mike, uh, Travis, Travis Lang's not going to let that happen. Kent Bazemore will be gone as soon as that starts to happen. Ersan Elias Solo will be gone as soon as that They'll start. To
2: that's why they got Miles Plumlee, <laughs> so they can start
3: him?
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who wants Kent in yeah. K- to trade? Uh,
1: you know, it, who's it's, going it's to trade for things. him? Yeah, that's a very fair point. They don't have a lot of talent. It's just I, I don't think that – I think that Schlenk clearly is embracing the full-scale rebuild. And when a team does that and when a GM is so forthright about it, it – only occasionally seems to blow up in their face and they end up way better than they, they meant to be.
2: Then the other possibility with them is signing or Ilyasova and Deadman. Well, actually Ilyasova technically has a he has a no tra he has a he can veto trades because of the weird structure of his contract. But especially Deadman, like he's in this unique place where I could totally see them using him as kind of like filler if they want to take on a bad contract and get an asset back. And so for them, that serves the dual purpose of actually getting something and getting worse because Deadman at that contract, assuming he has the year that we all three, it sounds like, expect, you know, a team might be sitting there going, hey, if we can dump, you know, a 10 or $15 million contract for next year and get this guy who's actually good, that's an even bigger benefit than just trading him into cap space. So I could totally see a move like that, or maybe even two moves like that, to facilitate the Hawks getting to the bottom where they, where the at least it sounds like management is very comfortable with them being.
3: Yeah, you could see that. Of course, if teams really wanted Dwayne Demon, they probably would have signed him for more than yeah. what did he get? Seven million guaranteed, eight yeah, million guaranteed, has, and then he has
2: a player option for next year, I believe. So
3: uh, okay, so it's it's uh, a little more than but yeah i mean if they really wanted him they could have done that I, yeah. I see your point though i do think you're going to see a lot more of those trades hey hey wizards uh maybe call them up about mahimi if he doesn't get healthy yeah, yeah.
1: That's, i mean it's entirely realistic that a guy like dwayne deadman could be a hawk for a very short amount of time you know i, I would think prince is really the the, the, the the player prince and collins are the two players that they view as building blocks beyond that i know they like a lot of their young guys but they they're they're, they're you're not going to see Travis Lang sitting on his hands in his first year as a GM. And I think anyone who knew what, he was, what his role was in the, in the Warriors organization would not be surprised to hear that either because uh, he's a very creative, very smart guy who's, who's going to do a good job with him
2: and it's nice that they've given him the latitude so far it sounds like to really do what he wants because Boonholes are like there there's a, there was a very real risk of having a guy who not only is a powerful coach but who had been the president of basketball operations like to to have that guy still be a part of your team that he would overwhelm the process and numerous elements of what they've done don't seem like Boonholes are moves so that makes me think that Schlenk has more control yeah so the next question is how many teams from this division make the playoffs
3: Three, I would say. I think Charlotte is, again, by virtue of everyone else uh, going further, deeper into the garbage can, Charlotte will be back in the playoffs, I would say.
1: So three. Yeah, I'll say like uh, 3.25 with I feel really good about the top 3 teams and I think I'll give the Magic like a 25% chance to make the playoffs. Oh my god.
3: We're doing it again. That's
2: interesting. <laughs> see, I think I think there's a higher chance that they only get 2 teams in than that they get that they get 4.
3: I agree. Man, yeah, why, are we, why do we keep doing this with the Magic? Like it's it's not I, mean, who I did this last the playoffs? year. Who else is
1: going to make the playoffs in this Eastern Conference? That's the problem, is that that eighth seed is like, are we really counting on the Sixers staying healthy when their whole team is a bunch of guys who have missed full seasons?
2: Well, and, and I was I was cracking up because uh, for the Atlantic one, the answer for the other two guests was like two is the most likely. And so I'm kind of sitting there going, well, if you think that's two and this is two. And then you look at the Central Division, and the Central Division has the Bulls who have very little chance. And then the Pacers who have a and the
1: chance. Pacers. Yeah.
2: So it's like somebody's going to have to make it. I agree with that. But I, I think it's more likely that this is that I would go three, then two, then four personally.
1: There's like seven playoff teams in the East, and that should be all they're allowed to have. Like five, maybe yeah, really more like five, yeah, and 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 you know cut it off at the box and.
2: Well, yeah, like in, a, uh, in the top sixteen, <laughs> I think I we'll, we'll see where the number ends up. But if this were a top sixteen, I think the East would probably have six teams in. And
3: maybe and just, maybe fewer than that. Then just put the two most interesting teams beyond that. So just like put the Sixers in the playoffs, no matter what their record is. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then It'd and then combine and then combine everybody else onto one team. <laughs> Who would be the best I, I,
3: player on all those teams combined?
1: So all those not
3: not good East teams. Whew. You're looking at what like so Kemba Walker would be really good on that team. You're looking at uh, Miles Porzingis, D- Miles Turner. Uh, that's your those oh are no, Dragic three- is on one of the better teams, so that's yeah, yeah. So those that's three of your starting five. Dwayne
1: Wade, Dwayne Wade probably starts. In the playoffs, at least.
3: Does he? Know? Levine? That
1: yeah, team God still wouldn't
2: – I mean, Miles Turner
3: would be on the team. I don't know where he would fit in. Yeah, I think you have three starters for sure, and then after that – I'm sure we're forgetting someone, but uh, – I mean, like,
1: Drummond, but there's no spot to start him in.
3: Right. The and wing also, is going to be really tough.
1: Avery Bradley's probably actually Detroit's best player. <laughs>
3: Okay, so who's the starting three? Like that would be a challenge. It, it would
1: be bias, it, Harris might, might be the best answer, but yeah, I got
3: yeah,
1: no, not a lot of confidence in the, these teams. Yeah, Torian Prince.
2: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll have to see if he can actually... I mean, it probably... So we're, are, we're we're counting the Hornets as not being in this group? I mean, the Hornets are in the non-clear-cut Oh, group. yeah. So I then, guess you would
3: put Energy then, or Batum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is a those little, little those more things. boring than I thought. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, but, so let's move on to the, to the last question, which is one that I enjoy, and I think this is a good division for it, which is players that you think will break out. This doesn't have to be becoming stars. I don't think there's really anybody that I can think of in this division that's going to do that, but players who are going to reach a different level of success fame whatever makes you happy
3: i think that otto porter will keep getting better and i think i expect him to i think a lot of people are looking at last year and like oh he's going to regress some more no i think he's going to keep getting better uh so he's one guy i would look at i'm still a winslow believer uh and i still think that we may see something great from him uh i don't know exactly what position but you know i could totally see miami playing a lot smaller and using him at the four more and that'll be a really interesting thing. I think Torian Prince is a player that's going to have a lot better, a much better year than he did last year. Those are three that I would point to. And, you know, at at some point, Peyton or Gordon, you would think would turn into something, and we'll see if that actually happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, those guys are all basically the top of the list of the guys that I was going to name. But I'm going to hold out one more year on the MKG is going to figure out what he can do on offense. Not that he's going to be a good offensive player, but that he's going to figure out what he does well. And uh, that was a big problem in half court. He was virtually useless on offense last year. And I think that this year he'll figure out how to be a better half court player because he's a person who has like an unquestionably strong work ethic. And and it really cares about that sort of thing about, about not wanting to be this one dimensional player. So I think MKG, I don't want to say a true breakout year, but becomes a verifiably acceptable offensive player. I I talked to him about about him a little bit, but Kelly, Ubre. I think the Wizards' bench needs Kelly Oubre to be good. You know, I think he he had a lot of offensive skill in, at, at Kansas and, and in high school that he has not shown one little even tiny inkling of for the most part since getting to Washington. And it's year three for him, which can often be a good year. And like I said, the the, the fact that they actually need a contribution out of him that there's no more Bogdanovich, I I won't be surprised if Kelly Oubre becomes a reliable bench player for the Wizards.
2: I'm really happy that the one that I feel most strongly about wasn't said, and that's Josh Richardson. I think Josh Richardson is, Hmm. I think that he's going to end up being the starting two for the Heat. I think he's going to do a very good job in that role. He is a restricted free agent after this year. I don't think he's going to get a crazy contract, but I think he's going to get paid. I like him a lot. I think he's a really good fit for what they do because he's not the highest usage guy, but he works hard on defense and he fits in well with Drogic and some of the other guys. I think he fits well with waiters too. I'm not, probably not the two of them together at the two and the three, but at the one and the two when they need to go in that direction. And then the other guy, again, I mentioned him earlier, and I don't think he's a breakout guy in terms of anything other than that he's being really underrated right now, and that's Jan Mihiny. Like, Mihiny is a really talented player. He can be a good defender. And part of the Wizards' problem last year was that their bench just sucked. And I think a big element of that was just that they didn't have that kind of central defensive piece. And I think Mihimi can be that. And they just need one of these guys to figure it out offensively. It could be Kelly Oubre. It could be Jody Meeks. could be Tim Frazier. Like, they need somebody on that end. But I think the uh, this is the other trap. You talk about the uh, the magic as being my trap. is like, my maybe the Wizards bench isn't going to be terrible this year. And like Thomas Sadoransky, or maybe one of these guys is going to figure it out. But I think Mihimi is the key piece in all of that.
3: Hope so. Uh, he just had another knee surgery, so I'm not holding my breath. But that would wait, be wait. Did he?
2: When did he? Had, I think he,
3: so. He,
2: I mean, this, this is kind of like Mahimi balderdash. Like I would totally believe that. Like it,
3: be I think like, he oh, had wow. another knee procedure. Am I crazy? I could have sworn he. I could have sworn that they were saying in Wall's press conference that he had another. Yeah, knee had procedure.
1: a minor knee knee procedure after the NBA season. Oh God, damn it! <laughs> but, minor, minor but yeah. So, Mike, I, I'm I am curious. Uh, what do you? I don't know that you answer. What do you think of the Wizards bench?
3: Well, it can't what be much worse. But well, here's the thing, right? Does Jody Meeks play? If he plays, he's a really good addition. But you know, I, we've seen a lot of Wizards signings that just don't stay healthy, uh, and that and if they don't have him on off the bench, that'll hurt. Tim Fraser's not Brandon Jennings, so that's a positive. It really again comes down to Ubre. Like he's got to take another step because I'm just not sure that. I mean, it's also going to be interesting how they use their starters. You know, do they sprinkle them in with the bench more often? You know, because... But if other than that, like, I'm not sure it's that much better. I think the only way it gets a lot better is if Ruber takes a step forward. And, you know, it's possible. You know, they did well to get the Frazier. I think, again, if Meeks is healthy, he's a good addition. But they also haven't solved their – they didn't get any good defensive players off the bench, which I guess they're hoping Mahimi will be healthy again. But that's, I think, a big weakness they have is that they don't – they went again for sort of offense first players. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of the Mike Scott signing. Uh, I would have liked to I get seeing them maybe go in on the defensive wing like a Cephalosha, although he can make more money. I it can't be much worse but I I'm not holding my breath that it's going to be a whole
1: lot better. Are you guys the secretly the Clippers East?
3: I would love to be Clippers East uh if you're talking about you know, to be honest like <laughs> I've totally accepted that like Hmm. I've never seen a Wizards team better than last year's in my lifetime. So if they can keep that up for, like, another five years, like, I'm cool with not winning titles. Like, I think the city needs to lay that foundation with their basketball team.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I'm open, just thinking, ball. like, you got a great starting lineup, but you can't ever figure out the bench, the bench situation. And there's always one flaw, and there's always one, you're, you're, you know, you're know, you're losing series where you had strong arguments why you could have won if one thing hadn't, you know, if John Wall hadn't broken his hand or if – one of those games he's gone slightly differently against Boston it's, it's there's a little bit of a clippers east situation there
3: there is but it's not
1: great. like great it's not a bad situation to be in your team is successful you're yeah, in year out. and
2: it's the it's well, the same situation as the raptors like people always think title or bust but being a consistent playoff team especially if you can host a playoff series or two like that's a pretty good place to be to be completely honest
3: i mean especially yeah. in the dc market and i mean i wrote about this last year when i was down there to catch up with them it's there is like a lack of a legacy there. And people in, unless you were a Gen Xer or, or well before that, you've never seen that team be any good. So obviously the fan base is a little depressed because there's not, there's nobody passing down like, oh, this Wizards fandom down to their kids. Like it's always the next generation that suffers for how much the previous team, the generate, the previous team sucked. Like the Redskins fans are going to stay there for a long time because. All the people there are kids of the generation where they were good. It's the next generation where you're going to see, I think, the effects of being a dysfunctional organization. So, to reverse engineer that for the Wizards, I think there's like a larger goal in mind, which is let's be good. Let's have a generation where, like, we can at least have our p- parents passing down Wall, bill and Porter jerseys to their kids, and then the kids, <laughs> you know, go from there. I, I think it's like sort of a larger like building up of enthusiasm that has to happen. Where I think. There are some fans that are like, yeah, we're not going to win anything significant. And like, no, I don't think they will. But I think that there's a lot of symbolic value that's going to be hard to notice until 20 years from now.
1: Yep, I agree. Yeah. There's a, a lot of NBA fans, particularly in uh, the city of Philadelphia, although they're like this about all their teams, uh, just want, want their team to tank if they're not going to win a championship. But let me tell you, it's not fun to be the Orlando Magic or the Sacramento Kings. It's a lot more fun to be the Toronto Raptors or the Washington Wizards of the Los Angeles Clippers.
2: One other point I wanted to make before we end this is I think this division is fascinating because of the guys that are in their like second to fourth year. So we, we talked earlier about <laughs> Alfred Payton and Aaron Gordon. Those guys are extension eligible. I don't think either one of them is going to get one just because it's too hard to come to a number. But then the Hawks have the second-year guys in Bembry and Prince that I think are going to be fascinating. I already mentioned Josh Richardson. The Magic are just kind of floating around. And so I I want to see those guys that are still on – Kelly Oubre is another one of these. Like, these guys that are still on rookie contracts, and we have some idea of what they are, but are still in the range where we should be expecting improvement. A couple of those guys are going to step up. A couple of those guys are going to disappoint. And those will be definitive in terms of the direction of their franchise because some of these teams are a little bit listless right now or are going to need that sort of a jump to make it to a different tier, like the Magic. You know, the Magic, the only way they're going to get there is by having some of those guys step up.
1: Don't be surprised if Frank Kaminsky. Has replaced Marvin Williams as a starter by the end of the year. Um, I'm not who saying that's that necessarily say a good of? thing. Who yeah, does, I'm not. Who does, does not, that not, say not more of? I, I'm not going to argue that says anything good about any anything in, in particular. But that's. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if the Hornets were looking to trade Marvin to a team that thinks of itself as an actual contender. But there's there's still a belief there in Charlotte that that they've got a starter caliber player, if nothing else. Beyond that, a lot of these teams, like you said, they're not just listless this offseason. These are so. Some of these teams have, have locked up their salary caps. Danny, you'd be able to, to actually tell me how many of these five teams, but the, they're not really in positions to make big moves in the future without finding the exact right trade combination or something. But the, these are teams that feel like they're going to be very similar next year too.
2: So there are three teams that you really can't argue with that presumption. So that would be the Wizards are locked in now, especially with John Wall the heat with the off season they had with spending all that money. And then the Hornets did that last summer and then basically just kind of tooled around it. Orlando is a more complicated case because they have 25 million in restricted cap holds for Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton. And so if they don't clear money, they're pretty much locked in if they keep those guys. And then the, the, the basically the, uh the Hornets are, I mean, the Hawks are wide open. So, but yeah, I mean, so that, it's a pretty interesting spot. Yeah. Uh, Anything else that anybody feels like we need to discuss, or are we pretty much done here?
1: Uh,
3: I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. Uh, Go Wizards.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, last year Mike had talked about the Malays, and it feels like that's pretty much gone because they actually had a good year.
3: Yeah, but it's funny funny how, like, eight wins, like, makes such a huge difference for (laughs) the mood of a city. It totally does.
1: Well, Mike, last year I told you that you'd get to around 50 wins, and this year I'm telling you, you're like the 2014 Warriors, so... Maybe.
3: <laughs> Maybe. I appreciate it. <laughs> I need those good
2: times. Well, thank you, thank you guys so much for taking the time. Pleasure as always.
3: All right, it's Bye. been great to come on.
2: Thanks so much to Mike Prada and Adi Joseph for taking the time to come on. You can read Mike. He is the editor of SB Nation NBA and founded Bullets Forever. You can follow him also on Twitter at Mike Prada SBN. That's M-I-K-E-P-R-A-D-A SBN. And you can read Adi. He is the deputy editor for The Win and USA Today Sports. You can also follow him on Twitter at Adi Joseph, A-D-I-J-O-S-E-P-H. Was nice to get a little bit of time off. Um, was a a wonderful trip. Ended up, for those of you, I've I've talked about a little bit, and I know some people have had some interest, so I'll explain a short version of of what I did. Did a cross-country train trip from the Bay Area where I live to Nashville, Tennessee, so not all the way across the country, but close to it for the eclipse, which was phenomenal. Uh, we were in the path of totality for a little bit over two minutes. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. But we stopped along the way in Glacier National Park, which was amazing. Beautiful place. Really enjoyed it. Montana. Spent a day there. Spent a, a, a amazing day in Chicago as well. Got some got some good food. Got to go to a Cubs game. And then on the way back I uh, was a Smaller group, and we went, spent two days in Aspen, spent a couple days in Salt Lake City. And so it was a really wonderful trip. Happy to to get a little bit of time. I actually did part of that podcast, Nate did on the On the Kyrie trade. I was on a train in rural Iowa and I was on for about 10 minutes until my cell phone reception ran out. So that was fun to do. I happened to be in one of the areas. It was intermittent where I would have reception. So I heard about the trade as it happened and then was on for part of the call and then dropped out, obviously. And great to be back though. And those of you who know me know that When I'm home, I'm a house of fire, even if I'm technically off or in a lighter form. So there will be plenty of Real GM radio, plenty of writing. I have a couple pieces coming up for The Athletic soon. I'll probably have some stuff for Real GM soon. And for maybe sporting news, I have a couple pieces that are kind of running around my brain whenever I have time. Real Jam Radio is going to be going strong. I have three more division capsules to do on all three of the Western Conference divisions, then also doing over-unders with Arturo Galetti, that's making a comeback, one of the standard bearers for me of Real Jam Radio podcasts. That'll be back in the very near future. And then going to have some other stuff as well. And that might end up being more than one a week. I'm not entirely sure, but that's the way it goes. And that's a great reason to subscribe because I don't know exactly how frequently it's going to come out. So if you subscribe, download every episode, it's a great thing you can do to help out the show as well. You can also leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast whatever you're choosing, spread the word. All of that stuff matters. It really does. And then the other huge, huge one, especially for us, is checking out our sponsors for this episode that is FanDuel. And so you can go try Daily Fantasy for yourself. I'm trying. Trying it admittedly for the first time now, and it's exciting that FanDuel is going to be along for this ride. It, I think it's going to work better with my schedule this year. I've been doing yearly fantasy forever, but to try daily and, and really experiment with it. And hopefully, it's awesome enough that I will consider doing it a little bit for the NBA. I, I am not making promises on that yet, but I think I will really enjoy it for football. FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and then promo code is REAL GM. Should be easy enough to remember. And of course, if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com. I guess at danielarou at Twitter, but it's better to use email because it's permanent and I will see it. I get a lot of stuff, both in notifications and DMs and all that stuff. So it's easier in email. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. Don't promise I'll respond, but that's the way that it goes. And yeah, lots of cool stuff on the way, even before the season starts. And I'm already looking forward to that, of course, the big Kyrie Isaiah trade. And if you want to hear my thoughts on that, you can hear it on Dunked On, both the reaction podcast and then we talked about it at the beginning of the West over-unders, which is already out and we're going to record the East soon enough. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
0: COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up.
3: Do it for your besties and the resties.
0: It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends.
3: Do it for birthdays.
0: And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And camp To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with
2: Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars.
0: If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited World Class Treatment Center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. call 1888 recovery now that's 1888 recovery